Welcome to the Analytics of Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Jordan McNamara. This is uh, the first week of April, and so we're in draft month. At least it appears we're in draft month. There's still some conversations and some thoughts that perhaps the the draft's going to be moved, and there's a push for uh, the it to be moved by some general managers and some executives in the league, but the league's been pretty adamant that it's going to go forward uh, the 23rd, 24th, 25th of April. So it's an, certainly an interesting time. I hope it goes off. It'll give us some uh, some <laughs> live things to watch and some, some live sports, and that'll honestly probably be good. Uh, it's, you know, and, and w- some discussion has been had about sort of how the strategies are going to be, uh, pertaining to it. So it's all going to be a really interesting thing to watch. Um, so yeah, look forward to talking about that. I do want to talk quickly about, uh, the Analytics Dynasty Patreon program. Uh, I have recorded a podcast and or, well, I've released a podcast every day for probably the last two and a half, maybe three weeks, um, of March uh, over there at the uh, at patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty and I'm committed to doing it going forward so at least through the draft I'm going to release a podcast each day um, detailing some of them will be news some of them will be strategy some of them will be positional uh, things positional items uh, but then we'll get we'll be cranking right into the draft um, watching all the storylines there thinking about strategy and all of those things so for uh, you can join over there uh, I do have the the um, Devi patron level it's four dollars a month you get a couple podcasts each week um, if you want to get the the daily podcast it's at the uh, dynasty patron level which is ten dollars a month and then uh, I do have the, and that has actually my tiers, which are a different take on rankings and just some different ways to think about uh, player types, player profiles. And for, um, you can also get in at the uh, champion level, which is um, includes the Dynasty, the Analytics Dynasty group me chat, which is great. Lots of strategy going on over there, uh, discussing drafts um, and a lot of different drafts, a lot of different formats going on. Some really uh, sharp owners in there. We talk. Uh, and and uh, in there uh, every day and, and different strategies, different trades, different uh, formats. It's it's really uh, it gives you those reps and those mental reps on decision making and all of those processes. So you can find all of that content over at Patreon.com/slash Analytics of Dynasty, and you can um, and if you haven't gotten the book yet, you can go ahead and get the book Analytics of Dynasty. Uh, the 2020 edition uh, that's over at analyticsdynasty.com slash shop um, and I do have the 2019 edition still on sale still uh, totally uh, good content ter- and, and relevant um, and just a different they're both different takes on the dynasty uh, strategy and dynasty process and how to implement them and make better decisions so you can find all that at analyticsdynasty.com slash shop uh, I did want to talk in this a little bit about some of the market things that we're seeing. I'm really interested and I'm I'm looking more and more at different data, how to think about these drafts. Uh, And so I've been trying to collect some, some, you know, true data, some, some actual draft data, just some things that I'm looking at in terms of, in terms of the, uh, in terms of different positional uh, runs and how they go off and different positional rankings and how they go off. So uh, th- I think it's really interesting at this point to to think about those things and see really what the market's doing uh, and in comparison to what it's doing in a, in a mock setting. Um, and so um, you know looking at the, the true data, you get the you get some just some different, strategies involved you get some different i think you see some broader strategies in place um, and you're sure of all of the right motivations coming out so i think looking to see where there is some difference in the in the valuations or the adp between some of the mock draft stuff which is i think pretty heavily relied on in terms of in terms of strategy and in terms of analysis and in terms of uh, valuation, I think it's it's pretty heavily relied upon. And then when you just see what else is actually going on in the market, it gives you a different a different take, a different 
uh, thought process, a different way to, um, you know, measure the market and, and know uh, it's a different data point to know what you're going to be seeing in, in drafts and what and how to think about that. So I would note at this point, um, I have seen and I think it's pretty consistently uh, evaluated this way is that Joe Burrow is the 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 101 in Superflex. Um, I've heard people say that to me um, pretty pretty clearly in terms of how how whether they think that or they think the market's saying that. I think it is it's a pretty um, consistent uh, narrative and consistent market belief. Uh, and so I did see that there's some new DLF uh, Superflex rookie ADP, Joe Burrow 101, Tua. Tungavailoa is at 102, and then you see Jonathan Taylor at 103, uh, DeAndre Swift at 104, um, C.D. Lamb 105, J.K. Dobbins 106, Akers 107, Jerry Judy 108, uh, Herbert, Jalen Rieger, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, and Henry Ruggs round out the the first round. So um, I think it's notable in terms of the the way the positions go in that um, and when you compare them to how startup drafts are going right now and so uh, there might be some some difference in the reasons um, but it's it's striking to me that there's there's such differences uh, so right now um, you know burrow is and I don't have the full breakdown in terms of how, I can just use March's ADP, but it's different because Tua is at two uh, in April's ADP. So I'm not sure how uh, you know how great that is in terms of the um, you know in in terms of the the comparison between the two of them because Tua has moved up ahead of Taylor um, to 102. So you don't necessarily know how big the spread is. You can't really use March as a gauge of it. Um, but I, I would say that that. Joe Burrow in, in drafts and <coughs> in, in actual drafts, so in, in startup drafts that are going on right now, he is not the 101 uh, in terms of if you just look at where rookies are going. In fact, he's not the 102. So Joe Burrow is going currently as quarterback nine uh, in, in super flex drafts that have been going on in the mar- month of March. And he is going, just to give you an idea, he's going at 29.8 in ADP. So that puts him as, as rookie number three, uh, just ahead of him. And he has jumped ahead of him in the past, we'll call it 72 hours. His ADP is adjusted up ahead of Burrow, which is DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift is at 28.9. Um, and this is there's a sample there of uh, 30... Between 30 and 40, I think it's 37 drafts right now uh, that sample draws from. So you're seeing a decent sample size of what the market's actually saying right now uh, in terms of this data that I'm collecting. And it is super flex. There's some tight end premiums, but for this conversation, it doesn't really factor in all that much. Um, but it's a start one tight end format, uh, and it's it's, regu- it's relatively stock. Super flex, two running backs, three wide receivers, and couple of flexes as well as a super flex um you know so it's relatively stockish in terms of the super flex format with the the little bump for the the tight ends in terms of some scoring but um but just from a, a running back quarterback wide receiver perspective uh it should be pretty neutral and so DeAndre Swift has jumped ahead of Burrow by it's less than a pick but I think it's notable um and then you see Jonathan Taylor uh, is a full tier ahead of them. He's going 10 picks, more than 10 picks ahead of uh, Joe Burrow. He's going at 19 and a half. Um, and so, yeah, you're getting a you're getting a pretty good range there. I, I would note too that there is uh, for Joe Burrow. He went as early as seven overall in one of these drafts. Uh, and so his median is actually significantly below. Well, it's 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 
couple it's almost two and a half spots lower than he actually is going in drafts um, and that is four spots below DeAndre Swift and of course medians just looking at you know half of the picks are below that half of the picks are above that so DeAndre Swift is is outside of a if you take that outlier out for Burrow uh, I think DeAndre Swift is really the one being treated right now as as the 102 if you were to look at it in this format and I think it's it's an interesting debate right if you if you look at should we treat startup drafts differently than rookie drafts um, and I guess the argument would be well in a rookie draft you you have to address need in a in a startup draft you don't necessarily it is more just straight player valuation um, because you can do you can address need in a different way and if you're sitting at 101 and you have a need at quarterback it's really tough to pass up on the first pick in the draft which is what I I, I sort of understand that argument and I think that that sort of dictates it what's interesting is you don't see that, that that need is not present in a in a mock draft setting, of course. So you're not actually addressing an actual need that your team has because you're drafting in a mock draft. You should just be dra- drafting off of value, um, and and then Burrow is still going ahead of Taylor. So you are seeing a disconnect in terms of the the mock market, we'll call it, versus the 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 true market or what the actual drafts are saying, uh, which I think is an interesting, it's an interesting breakdown and an interesting uh, challenge to, to sort of face and, and, and to think about how you should deal with that. So um, I don't know. I, I think the only, I've had some discussions about this and put a lot of thought into whether or not we should treat these two differently. Uh, and I don't, I, I can't really come down to a rational thing outside of drafting for team need of why you would draft, why Taylor should be going higher in startup drafts. Uh, and then if you were to, put, if you were to sort of change the chairs around and change the label on it and uh, limit the player pool to just rookies, that Burrow would be going ahead of him there, right? It just doesn't, uh, it doesn't seem like a rational thing. So I, I would say just from a blanket value perspective, the startup draft market is treating, is treating these players more as they should be treated, which is assets um, and, tra- and drafting less for team need. And if you're going to see, for example, I mean, Burrow, if you're going to take him and put him at 101, that's basically going to imply an ADP somewhere in the – you know, right around 20 or so, uh, and Taylor is at 19 and a half, right? So you're going to, you would have to see that, that, that flip almost in terms of, um, what you would see generally historically, as well as what you would, you would just see in the general ordering of things, uh, in terms of how ADP would construct. Um, I, I just, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting perspective to see this and to see how the market is treating. And this isn't an insignificant amount. I mean, a, a 10, more than 10 picks is a pretty significant difference in terms of, in terms of the position. So um, I would be careful if you are going to draft for need um, or just draft uh, Joe Burrow as a consensus 101. Um, you know, the, the market in terms of the, the drafting is, is treating them differently, uh, is treating Taylor ahead of him. Uh, now, I would say I, I think that there's chances this doesn't hold, right? So just to say that this is what's happening right now, we'll have to see more as this goes along how that changes. For example, I think this probably implies that the market thinks that Taylor's going to be a first-round draft pick um, or a really, really early second-round draft pick. I think that that is... I think it's totally reasonable that that happens. I don't think it's impossible that that Taylor goes later round two um, or even falls into round three. I, I would think that's unlikely, but I think that that possibility is there. I don't think that there's a, a real possibility that Joe Burrow goes anything less than the top five picks in the draft. I wouldn't say that he's a lock to go to Cincinnati. Uh, and I don't know if this this draft season is different because of all the other stuff that's going on in the world. We're not getting, it certainly is different. 
it certainly is different. I should, you know, that's, it goes without saying you're not getting these pro days, you're not getting these, these meetings. But I think that the, really the thing that impacts us, which is you're not seeing the same level of reporting because there's less to cover. There's less pro days to cover. There's less scout interaction to get leaked. There's less anonymous scout sources because you're not, uh, you know, th- there's less in terms of these interactions and, and all the narratives about the meetings and the medicals, right? There's concerns about what type of medical stuff we're going to have, right? There's there's all of this uncertainty. And the follow-on from that is you're just not getting all of the same narratives and, and uh, those sorts of things that typically happen at this point in a in the lying season of, rookie, of the NFL draft calendar. So, but I do think that there you know before all this stuff came to a screeching halt there was some discussion and i would put some value in it because i think that i think it merit i think it merits consideration uh just based on some prior history which is that there are teams that didn't have burrow at, at quarterback one now all it takes is one team to have him at quarterback one that has the first pick in the draft and he's going 101 but I do think the idea that he is the locked on quarterback one is is probably not true. Uh, I do think if if Tua were healthy, a full bill of health, you had nothing to consider. I think he certainly merits uh, consideration at 101. Uh, and I think that there's some teams that could see a guy like Justin Herbert that fits a little bit differently in the in the mind's eye of the quarterback position that there are teams that could rationally I wouldn't say I would do this but I think you could make a rational determination and say I would rather have a quarterback like Justin Herbert than a quarterback like Joe Burrow now I I wouldn't do that but I think that the idea that there is there that is out there uh, and I would be I would not be surprised if there are teams that have Justin Herbert ahead of Joe Burrow. And I think we just haven't seen that level of, uh, we haven't seen quite that those debates sort of fall into place and you sort of get some, some negative discussions about the, the top quarterbacks at this point in the, the calendar just as a typical thing. It becomes everyone's picking on their warts um, just because we've run out of things to talk about. It just doesn't seem like that is, is where we are at this year. Um, so with all of that said, I, th- I think that Burrow is, is still locked in to be a top five. It would stun me if he was anything less than that. It would probably stun me to some degree if he wasn't the 101. Um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that someone other than Cincinnati takes that pick. Um, so we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see on all that. But I, I do think that, that Burrow's floor is locked in pretty safely. I think Tua's floor is locked in less safe because I think there's the injury risk there. But uh, when you compare them against against uh, DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor, I think their range of outcomes are significantly narrower. And that, that benefits them in the sense that, that – if you're drafting right now, there's a safer floor for them in terms of what happens in the draft. Again, I think Jonathan Taylor warrants a first-round pick, but would it would I would I be stunned if he didn't go in the top two rounds of the NFL draft? I would not be. Um, and I think I think Swift probably has a little bit higher of a floor in terms of NFL draft pedigree, just because of uh, you know he he profiles more of receiving uh, more of a receiving threat and there's just more people that uh, I think narrative wise would would tend towards his his type of skill set at least the the receiving skill set and in more of a traditional receiving threat although there is a lot of things to like about Taylor as a you know on a a per route run basis for uh, for Jonathan Taylor he's been pretty effective so um you know, so I, I do think that there is a floor problem with Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift at this point. And, for example, I've been in two startup drafts, and I haven't really been in on rookies just because sort of in, in one sense I know that I have, you know, I have multiple shots at Jonathan Taylor come rookie draft time, so I don't need to try and be really aggressive at this point in the calendar and get him I'm going to have those cracks to get my exposure to him and to draft him at, at 
you know, 15, 16, 17 overall, uh, you know, at that running back five, six, seven, you know, I've seen him as high as running back three in the middle of the first round. That's a dangerous proposition. That is just a dangerous proposition to do right now before the draft. And I'm not saying that it couldn't switch around or have a, we could have a discussion about if he warrants being that high, you know, if he's a first round pick or, or those, you know, a number of factors come together, you know, he lands with Kansas city in the first round, like that's going to break things. But right now there's, there's a, uh, uh, some danger in terms of uh, what could happen to his ADP and, and whether or not the market reflects that is I think a totally different conversation in terms of how far he falls. Um, you know, whether the market and whether his ADP, for example, or his rookie draft uh, rankings or that, how correlated it is to his draft position is certainly going to be an interesting thing to watch. Um, so I would say right now, if I were going to bet on who is the most likely 101, I think by the market, I think it's going to be Joe Burrow, just because I think that it is the most likely outcome that he's the 101 and that Jonathan Taylor slips in draft pedigree enough to, to boost up Burrow. Um, and I think that <clears throat> enough people at 101 are going to desire a quarterback because that's a lot of times how you get there is you need quarterback and super flex. Um, and so I, I would say that I think that that is a, uh, probably the most likely outcome is that he's the one one but I think in this more neutral, you know, this more need neutral setting, it's, it's, certainly troubling if you're going to take Joe Burrow at 101 knowing that their ADPs in in these regular drafts it's a full round difference I think that is a a, a, there has to be somewhat of an accounting for that and do you go about addressing quarterback with 101 in a different way whether that's a trade down or or whatever it is um, or a trade for a veteran player and you move around I mean what what sort of spread opens up there I think is certainly a an idea that should be up for debate. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's basically sort of my thought on the one one right now. Um, and I think, you know, I think right that has some serious implications too. Typically I'm a, Hey, let's get as high up on the board as we can. But if you're sitting at like one Oh four, one Oh five right now, and you're saying, well, geez, I need a running back. Like uh, you're going to be, like if you're sitting at 104, you're going to be drafting. You're either going to be drafting quarterback two, running back two, or wide receiver one in a good class. Like, let's not get carried away in terms of how much we need to go up the board and what that cost is going to be. The interesting thing will be, how is it less costly to move up this year than in years past, right? And you know, last year, and maybe I was on an island with this, but last year I thought that. Kyler Murray was the clear 101. I thought in, in Superflex, I thought that uh, Josh Jacobs was the clear 102. Um, and he was in non-Superflex. I thought he was absolutely the running, the 101. Um, and then you developed a, a tier break in there. Now, I was al- not necessarily alone, but I, I wasn't a consensus opinion. In, in years past, it has been. The Zeke Elliott class for example he was the 101 uh, and it was a massive difference between 101 and 102 that year um, the difference in the Barkley year uh, a couple years ago where Barkley went 101 that was that was certainly a gap there um, and what was funny is, is you get that you had a gap open up uh, in a good class like that's how good he was you know whether it was uh, Darius Geis or Nick Chubb um, these guys that went up there that high uh, were um, were better relatively than the guys that were drafted in the Zeke year but that's just how good Barkley was right that spread opened up I don't think that you're going to see that spread open up this year. You don't have the Zeke or the Barkley level of 101 player. Uh, and I think that it's flatter in terms of the, the difference between one Oh, the, the running back one and the running back three or four this year is, is, you know, miles smaller than the gap between Zeke and the running back three of, or four of that year. So I think you're going to see that. And it, while, you don't necessarily need to go up that high to get a really quality player. Um, it's probably going to be cheaper in years past because you're just not going to have the demand for it. 
So um, there's not going to be a ton of market, I don't think, to – there still is going to be a market to trade up, but you're not going to see the necessity to do it quite as much. You're probably not going to have as many people demanding it. You know, if I'm sitting at 102 or 103, I don't need to make the jump up to 101 to get a good player. Um you know, so you'll see some of that stuff, but I think it's going to be less this year because of the way it's going to break out in terms of tiers. Another thing that I think is worth mentioning with this new calendar, and we've seen some of these stories about how this year could revolutionize how teams scout and how teams draft and the pre-draft process and seeing out of, I guess, out of any uh, tragedy and out of any crisis like this to see some different efficiencies and how teams react uh, and, and improve their process in that is, uh, you know, I guess that's a silver lining to some degree. Uh, but I think you will see different things happen. And I was listening to a podcast. Uh, it's called Invest with the Best. Uh, he, uh, there's a, this, the host uh, interviews people from all around. And one of the things he talked about, he had someone on that studied basically crisis investing and he studied it over the past. It was like a two year long research project and he, and it wasn't at all related to this. It just happened to correspond with this. Um, and it just happened to correspond with this uh, significant drop in the stock market. But he, what he said was really fascinating. I think really applicable to dynasty, which is in times of uncertainty and when you when you don't know exactly how to react to the news or when you know everything around you is moving very quickly and you're having just a hard time factoring in you know, what the true price of players is or you you just have less information this year than you're going to have in years past because you don't get as much reporting you're not getting per day numbers you're not getting all of these these factors his sense was the same thing with companies, right? Like players and dynasty with companies, you're getting such massive movement, massive value changes because the market is, is reacting to this economic surge. His, his approach to that was, well, just use base rates, which I think is fascinating from a dynasty perspective. And from someone that wrote a book with a chapter entitled base rates, uh, it really, really, struck a chord with me and you know when you know nothing else and 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 such massive changes are going on and all of these things when you know nothing else just regressing to the base rate number is a pretty safe place to go and i think this year even more so right when and someone asked me you know someone put this out on twitter um shane over at, at dynasty trades hq put this on twitter and he said you know how does it affect it and i said just use base rates and just use you know, just use what you know in terms of what has happened before and apply it to this year and start there. And I, I do that every year. I start there every year. And that, that means, you know, 55% of round two running backs hit at some point in their career for a top 24 season, right? It means that 77% of round one running backs hit, right? Uh, it means that 40% of round three running backs hit, right? That, that That's what it means. Or 55% or so of, of wide receivers in the first round hit, right? That, that they're uh, on about the same platform as, as running backs in round two are, right? So you sort of, you, you know, these, these base numbers, right? The base rate, and you can sort of work from there and just keeping these things in mind. It's really, really important. So that is, I think, a, a really instructive way, um, and to see it used outside of the the dynasty realm where I had applied it, to see it be talked about on this you know much bigger platform about much weightier things in terms of the stock market, it's it's a little bit of confirmation about some of the things that that I've been trying to talk about, uh, and and about how we can apply them, and I think drawing from different aspects of of society and and different. Sports is always a great way to look at things, but looking at where uh, what other efficiencies have been developed in other places is a great is a great starting point. So looking at base rates in terms of of players, and one thing that will one thing that will change is you might not have the same data on what a round three 
running back is this year, right? Like you might not have like JK Dobbins is probably not going to run an official 40, for example, and whether he's a day two, you know, he's probably going to go on day two, whether that's round two, round three, right? You're not going to know per se or exactly. We can estimate and we can do different things in terms of applying older numbers or sort of estimating those things. We're not going to know exactly what his number is. But what we are going to know is what the price point a team has spent on him is. And that's really important. So what you'll see is, and it's, I think, natural, and this is why draft pedigree is such a big deal, is what is natural is you get a, an, investment, an investment bias, right? You've purchased a player's contract, you purchased rights, you drafted him. Uh, and and the fact that it cost you more, that you sunk that cost, you have a bias towards giving that player more and more of an opportunity, right? Because you don't want to admit defeat. Um, you know, it's an acquisition type bias. You spent a lot to acquire them. You're going to give them every opportunity. Uh, and and we've seen this. And we we it's it's apparent in the the hit rate data it's apparent when you interview or when you hear interviews of players who were drafted later on um, and, and what it takes for uh, them to get opportunities whether that's practice reps or being the you know the second or third team instead of being the first team right out of the bat like you see these these things happen all of the time um, and it's probably why wide receivers that flame out first round wide receivers that flame out actually do it before second or third round wide receivers flame out right they drop off and hit rate a lot quicker because they're getting an earlier opportunity so these things are real and I think this year more so than anything that is not going to go away right this this is going to change the dynasty landscape is going to change um the the honestly the nfl draft landscape is going to change right all of these things are going to change in terms of how we look at data what is not going to change at least i don't think is going to change is the bias that teams are going to have into what they spent right that's going to stay the same that that cost right and those those decisions when training camp opens up and this whole thing hopefully at some point in the near future recedes and goes away that bias is still going to be there so whether it is a is a great third round pick or not we might not be able to evaluate that as as well as we could in other years but the team still has on their hands a third round pick for example or a second round pick or a top 10 quarterback or whatever and you can treat the players like that and there's a certain valuation or decision tree that happens for an nfl franchise that will will follow the course that has consistently followed so using those base rates having an idea on how players project um in terms of coming into the nfl is really important too the other thing i think is is critical and i've talked about this to some degree on the patron on the patron side they're the patreon program is how do we think about players in the nfl now is is i think even more critical um because you can just somewhat regress the base rates and do a lot of that stuff in terms of draft pedigree and rookie drafts but how do you think about it in, in existing leagues and one of the things i think is critical is you're gonna go we'll say the last time a, a player's been with his team was in late december if it team wasn't in the playoffs or or in January if they were in the playoffs or you know in the Super Bowl it's in February but you're going to go uh, for players that haven't been uh, with their team since December you're going to go from the end of the season you know your, your exit interview or whatnot you're going to miss mini camps you're going to miss OTAs you're going to miss um, all you know all the offseason training activities all of those opportunities to get updates on players and those are important those move the market and whether that's confirmation of players doing well or uh, you know a, a player is not doing well or whatever like that that stuff is relevant data that we uh, that shapes our opinion and it shapes how we think about players and it shapes their valuation we're not going to have any of that and what we're probably going to be forced to deal with is just finding out about players in in training camp 
And that might even be on a condensed timeline. That might not be mid to late July. You know, I still have hope that it will be, but it might be different. And how do we think about that is really critical. I do think we're going to play this year. I don't think that is, you know, there's some thought of, you know, what happens if we don't play uh, and how does that impact players? I, I mean, I think it's a, a possible outcome. I guess I would say I think it's a possible. Uh, I wouldn't rule anything out because we've never done this. Uh, so I think when, when you have total uncertainty, there should be some thoughts that, that it's a, you know, don't discount the extreme from happening. But I do think if, if you were to put, you know, if I think it's a 90, 95% chance we play. Um, but how does that impact players that aren't, that we that are veterans um or that that risk of you know if what's larry fitzgerald if if they don't play this year larry fitzgerald might not ever play again those sorts of things that's one aspect of it how does it treat guys who are just on one-year contracts like todd Gurley? that's another aspect of it um but the other one the one that i think is is the most critical is the development of players and whether that's a guy like Daryl Henderson's a great example of this to me. And Daryl Henderson, you have a player who, uh, by all accounts, uh, did not have a good post-draft process uh, by, I think, any measure. Uh, he was highly buzzed, right? There was a lot of positives coming out about him. Uh, you know, people projecting him to be the next Alvin Kamara, uh, you know, projecting him to take over for Todd Gurley, who was just not going to be able to play because of his knees. Like all of these things were real. Uh, and then, you know, drafted on day two. So that's a, that's a good investment, right? That is a significant investment. It's a significant difference between round three and round four. Uh, but he, so he's in there with a range of a couple of other guys that go in that, that, you know, I think there was five guys that went on in round three last year. So he's in that conversation and then he comes in and comes into training camp and is working behind Malcolm Brown and in weeks three and, and of the preseason when everyone else is on the bench, he's out there, every other meaningful player that includes, uh, Jared Goff, his backup, Blake Portals. It includes Todd Gurley and his backup, Malcolm Brown. It includes all three of their stud wide receivers, as well as uh, Josh Reynolds, and then uh, who's their wide receiver for. And it included Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett, right? Literally, those guys did not see the field in, tra- in uh, the preseason. So basically two deep all the way across the board and four deep at wide receiver. And Daryl Henderson was out there running around in, in preseason games. Now, you could say, all right, well, they're treating the rookie different, maybe. But that didn't translate into him playing in the regular season. Right? He was a minimal part of that offense. And so that speaks to me as a player that you have to have a little bit of concern with about what the development curve is, whether he just wasn't adjusting right or whether they realized, hey, this isn't the player that we thought or, hey, he doesn't fit our scheme or, hey, maybe he's just not working that hard or he came in out of shape or whatever. There's a hundred different ranges of things that could have happened and combinations thereof. But that speaks to a concern about his development. And you don't need to necessarily put a number on it other than to say that that is not something that's an ideal uh, outcome in terms of what you were expecting. And so I think a lot with a player like him, you are not going to get any more news on that. And people are sort of booking in his market surprisingly hasn't moved up as much as one would think in terms of the drafts we're seeing, Um, you know, maybe around um, in terms of some of the recent stuff, but not really all that much movement in terms of his his uptick, which was surprising. Um, but you're not going to get uh, anything about his development. And a player like that who did not perform well, who is new to the the NFL, how does how, how is he dealing with it from a professional standpoint? You know, is he in shape? Um, you know, is you know, he's, if he's locked in his house is, and I'm just, I'm not picking on Daryl Henderson. I'm using his and him, him as a proxy for this, but are these players uh, in shape? Are the guys that have, 
that are, are new to this or first year guys or second year guys, how are they staying in shape? You don't have as much of a concern about that for a guy like DeAndre Hopkins or, or Larry Fitzgerald, who you sort of know are going to show up, but guys that are, are 22 years old and given all this freedom and no structure and, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, and they're stuck in their apartment what's going to are they going to be ready are they going to be in in shape how do they deal with the limitations and the the lack of instruction in terms of the playbook all of these things i think they're really i think they're extremely relevant considerations and if you're expecting a big leap from a guy going from round from year 1 to year 2 uh, in particular, I would be pretty I would be pretty tepid about making a big investment on that. So I think the other thing to take away from it is so base rates are a big deal, and the base rates on a guy like Henderson will will be a lot more tepid than you would expect, right? He is not a from a just a numbers perspective, he is not a player that you would expect uh, more than fifty percent shot to be a starter this year in terms of a top 24 production player. So getting over your skis on that is pretty concerning. And fortunately for the market, like it is still, it is not, uh, it's not totally out of whack from where he is, but in terms of a trading, uh, from a trading perspective or anything like that, I think you, you do have to, uh, you know, you do have to be careful about the cost that he's going to to cost, or or what you'd be willing to pay. Um, so all of those things, I think, are are really are really important. Um, and when you watch, you know, when you look for his his base rate, like thirty seven percent of players in his position, which is round three, running backs entering year two, hit for a top twenty four season going forward. And the market, the last I checked, I think it was March's ADP, um, according to DLF, it implies a forty nine percent hit rate. So the market's uh, higher on him than uh, than the um, than his fundamentals would suggest, and I think that that's pretty significant in terms of you know thinking about these players and the level of caution that we should have. So um, that's you know that's something I really think that you should should consider in terms of looking at a player's fundamentals, being being careful. You know, don't make huge bets at this point in the season. Dra- trading up in a startup draft doesn't make a ton of sense to me right now because. <laughs> There, there's going to be even less certainty now than there is in a normal year. And there's a lot of uncertainty in a normal year because you just, you don't have control over the data. You don't have control over the outcome. And, you know, even if you're getting guide posts along the line, you can, you, that can sharpen your data a little bit, sharpen your efficiencies and those sorts of things. But you just, this year, you're not going to get any of that. So, you know, making, being risk averse in the sense of don't, you know, I, I like to take risk in, in dynasty leagues, but being haphazard about it this year, I think is, is, is a, as a place where you can really, uh, you can really dig yourself a hole. So being open to the idea that there's a lot of uncertainty and reacting accordingly. And that is being, you know, being risk averse where you don't need to take risk. Uh, and, and, you know, how do you hit, how do you hit five out of the first six rounds of a startup draft? Well, you can, you can draft six guys and hit five times, or you can draft eight guys and try and hit five times. It's, it's a lot easier to draft. It's a lot easier to hit five or six times in the first six rounds of a draft when you're drafting seven or eight times than it is when you're drafting five or six times, right? And so just just thinking about that and being more open to different ranges of outcomes and realizing that we're in a lot of uncertainty and acting accordingly, I think is really a, a good strategic point to be in. So I like to do these calendar shows just to think about it. Um, and, and this is sort of the catch-all for that at this particular point of the year. Um, so that, you know, that would be what I would think about. The other thing I would think about in this point of the calendar is how do I fix, how do I make it so I don't have to draft for need in rookie drafts? And whether that is small trades, whether that's big trades, whether that is, um, you know, what, whether that's trying to find a couple of a, a, a wide receiver three type player that you can fit in on your roster like that's that's something that will you know make it so that you don't have to 
draft for immediate need in a rookie draft. And when you relieve yourself of that pressure, you make better decisions. So that's, a, I think, a critical thing to do right now. And try and do it affordably, right? That probably goes without saying. Um, and, and when you're making trades, you don't want to be paying out your nose. But you don't have to fix every hole uh, right now. You don't have to fix every hole expensively, right? So, for example... I, you know, I, I think positions are different, right? So you don't need, it's not as critical that you have a running back two or running back three right now, right? You might have three or four different options on your team that if, hey, if injuries break one way or or any of those things, which is, you know, conditioning injuries are a thing in, in the beginning of training camp. And if players aren't coming in in shape, like that, that is a potential fallout outcome of this, right? We might see higher ACLs, which we know are conditioning, uh, are, are really a, a conditioning stat and they ha- are a conditioning injury and they happen early in training camp because of uh, the lack of game shape that these guys are in. And it's just uh, as, as their bodies are getting into shape, they're vulnerable for these things. Is that something that could be a follow on implication of this? I certainly think that that is possible. And so, you know, being open to, hey, you know, I, I have multiple different options that are backups that I don't really know what wide, what my running back three situation is right now. You don't need to go trade for Jordan Howard to fix that right now. But if you have a need at wide receiver, you know, you can find a stopgap, whether that is Julian Edelman or, um, you know, Marvin Jones or someone even, you know, that level of cheapness who you can project to say, hey, this is going to be a critical part of a passing game. And it might not be the prettiest thing in the world, but they're going to project 110, 120, 130 targets um, at a steep discount. You know, I can figure I can figure it out. I can sort of use that, whether that is through four weeks, six weeks, 13 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever, I can sort of, I can, I can use one of those guys or two of those guys and sort of fix it, fix it cheap. Um, at least it makes it so that you don't have to think, Hey, I need to start rookie, you know, CD lamb in week one. Right. And I need to draft him at, at one Oh two, because I have a need at wide receiver sort of eliminate that from your, uh, from your, draft calculus by fixing it a cheaper way. So just looking at those types of deals. And sometimes they are expensive, right? I mean, I traded, I was in a deal uh, where I needed to fix wide receiver and Odell Beckham was, I thought, pretty affordable. And so I traded um, Nick Chubb in 103 for, or excuse me, Nick Chubb in 113, uh, which I got in a, um, I won the the consolation prize. So I got the, I got an additional first round pick. Um, and I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And so I traded Nick Chubb in 113 for Odell Beckham in 108. So it both moved me up the board, um, but, but created, and I was deep at running back at Mixon and Barkley and um, Chubb. And um, there was one other running back that I had. I can't remember offhand, but I had four good running backs. Um, James Conner. James Conner was the other one. And so Nick Chubb was the most natural sell just from a, from a, price and profile perspective he was the one i thought was going to be the best i was going to get the best deal on and i have 101 so you know i can fill you know i could i could draft for need there and take a wide receiver or i could just draft the best player and take a running back uh it's a start one league so i'm pretty confident that the best player is going to be a running back uh and and by doing that trade i sort of helped myself uh, not fall into that trap and fill the hole um, and actually moved up in the process. So I did two things that I really like to do at this point of the calendar, which is fix a hole. And um, I didn't really create one. And I was able to get some additional equity out of it and give myself some more flexibility come draft time. So doing those types of things, I think, makes a lot of sense right now. The other thing I'm doing right now is I'm going back and tracking trades. I'm just going back and looking at my trades from prior years and whether it's startup drafts, whether it's rookie drafts. I'm just going through all of my 19, my 2019 trades and um, putting them in a spreadsheet thinking about them you know listen look trying to remember what i what i was thinking in the moment and write that down and i'm doing that now with with my trades that i'm making in real time i am taking the trade and i am writing down why i made it because six months from now when you're looking at the outcome 
it might be vastly different than what you would have expected during the trade. But the process, and you can't necessarily predict those things. There's a lot of uncertainty. But evaluating your process will really tell you, you know, hey, this was a good deal or, hey, this is where your mistake was. Um, you know, thinking about the process more than the outcome uh, is, a, is a good thing to, to do. So starting, you know, tracking your trades, going back um, and just keeping a note of, hey, this is who I gave up. This is who I got. You know, I track a couple other things like the format of the league, um, you know, just what Superflex or or stuff like that. And then I also track, you know, when I made the trade. So is it in season? Is it in a rookie draft? Is it just in the off season? Just generally. And I found I've made, you know, my best trades have been in season. And sort of knowing that and building that strategy out has, has helped me, you know, consider more, more possibilities right now in terms of how do I feed that ability? You know, what can I do now to sort of set myself up to make more of those trades? I, and I found that, you know, I've struggled to trade, to acquire players for picks. That has just been a place that I haven't had a lot of success with. And so knowing that I can sort of adjust that leak in my game. And I know that I am pretty good at making trades in a rookie draft. That I tend to be, uh, that tends to be something that I am successful at more than not. So, sort of feeding into that, you know, building a strategy around doing what you do well is a great is a great uh, place to come from. And this is the perfect time of year to do it because you're not, you know, there's there's a little bit more free time going on. So. That's a good way to fill it. So, well, that'll do a wrap on this show. Um, I just want to say thanks for tuning in. I <clears throat> I appreciate all of the support. If you want to go and rate and review the podcast, you'd uh, be greatly appreciated in doing so. Um, and, you know, I'm going to do one podcast a day, at least through the NFL draft. Um, and honestly, probably as long as I'm quarantined in my house, uh, just gives me something to look forward to in terms of, uh, you know, escaping for a little while each day and thinking about a new topic and, and, um, you know, diving into it and, uh, and, and <clears throat> giving some, giving some analysis and talking, uh, and just talking it out. So I, I enjoy that. It's going to be over on the Patreon side and I've been doing, uh, one other thing too, I forgot to mention before is I'm doing a Sunday night live show. I think I've done two of them now. Um, and so, uh, we're doing those at nine 30. So you can get that link with the, uh, on Sunday nights, uh, and it'll be up too. You can come back and watch the video later on. If you, if you can't make it during that, that time, but I found that's a pretty good time for people to be able to make at this point, um, with the, what's going on in the calendar. So, uh, you can look forward to that as well. So patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty. And if you're looking for some reading, trying to improve some of your process, Go ahead and go over to the Analytics of Dynasty uh, website, analyticsofdynasty.com slash shop, and get yourself a copy of the one of the books, whether it's the 2020 edition focused on Superflex, a lot of rookie draft stuff in there too. It was really exciting to write about um, and a lot about you know randomness and, and a lot of things I think that will really, really help this year. And I wrote it in a way that isn't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, um, but a lot of the stuff that I wrote about and a lot of the decision-making stuff that I wrote about in the book six months, you know, a year before now, um, it, it's a lot of it's really applicable in, in strange ways. So go find that over at analyticsofdynasty.com slash shop. Get yourself a copy of the book and, um, and maybe it'll help you escape from some of the stuff that's going on. But if you have any questions or anything, feel free to hit me on Twitter. Um, you can hit me in the analytics dynasty, Gmail at analytics at gmail.com. You know, and if you just, need to talk, I'm here too. So um, until next time, keep embracing the variance. I'm your host, Jordan McNamara. We'll talk again soon.